Let us pray. Lord God, as we come now to open Your Word, the Bible, as we hear You speak to us in the pages of Scripture, we ask and pray that You would help us understand by Your Holy Spirit as we see the ark brought into Your temple today and we see Your presence filling the temple of God. That we would see our need of Your presence with us. And Lord, we are in need of that now. Help us by Your Holy Spirit to understand. Help us, Father, to see Christ. And help us, O Lord, to put our faith and trust in Him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so and take your copies of God's Word. And turn with me to 1 Kings. Chapter 8. First Kings 8, we'll begin at verse 1 and we'll read here this morning through verse 11. Hear now the Word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us, so let us pay close attention. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel, before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. And the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the construction of of the house of the Lord that Solomon did. And, and last Sunday we, we saw the furniture in God's house. 
We saw strong pillars that were at the front of the house of God. We, we saw the cleansing fonts filled with thousands of gallons of water for the priests and the sacrifices. And we saw a well-furnished house. But there's one thing missing. And that one thing is the ark of the Lord. And this morning we find the ark being brought into the temple. The ark of the covenant of the Lord being brought into the temple by the priest, by King Solomon. Now the parallel passage to this is 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And it goes into greater detail as to what transpired that day. There was a, a worship service. And not just a worship service for a day, but for an entire week. An entire week, the whole nation of Israel gathered around the temple of God at the top of Mount Zion. And as the celebration came to its climax, King Solomon, with all of his glory and all the leaders of the people, appeared and they saw myriads of priests coming out of the temple. And these men had consecrated themselves for the service of God by washing in that great bronze basin we read about last week. And not only that, they were singers. They were singers singing praises to the living God. But, but what or who was at the center of worship? The only one deserving of praise, and that is God. He is at the center of our worship this morning. The, the living God. The, the only God there is for us to worship that has revealed Himself to us in the, in the pages of Scripture. And so they were celebrating like this because the ark was coming into the house of God. Now what did the ark symbolize? God's presence. God being with His people. And so with the ark, the temple that Solomon built for the Lord, the, the house that he built, was not just a, a beautiful building, even though it was, but the center of, the, of, of God's people's worship. It was a reminder of the earthly dwelling place for the true and living God. And so there are three things I, I want us to notice this morning from our text. And the first is this, God deserves Praise. In verse 1, we read that in order for Solomon to bring the ark into the temple, he had to go get it. Now, in our study of 1st and 2nd Samuel, we, we know, and even Exodus, we know that the ark of the covenant was made by a man with the name of Bezalel. He was a master craftsman in, in Israel. And he was anointed by the Holy Spirit under the commission of Moses to build the ark. For 40 years, the Israelites would carry the ark of the covenant with them in the wilderness as they wandered from place to place. And when Israel finally entered the promised land, the ark of the covenant led the way. Eventually, that ark was set up in Shiloh. And for many years, that was the place where Israel would hold its solemn assemblies for worship. And at some point, the tabernacle was moved to Gibeon. 
And the ark was finally housed at Kiriath-Jerim. And so by the time Solomon built the temple, the ark of the covenant was already in Jerusalem. But yet the ark did not have a place. It did not have a house. Now the house is complete. And so Solomon goes and he gets that ark, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and he brings it to the house that he built. In verse 2, we read, all the men of Israel assembled. All the men assembled to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. All the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Now this worship service, this celebration took place the the seventh month. Which coincided with the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you remember the Feast of Tabernacles? It was during this feast that Israel would live in tents for a week. They would live in these tents as they were reminded of the wilderness wanderings. Do you remember why Israel wandered for 40 years? Because of their disobedience to God. They lived in tents and other shelters as a way of remembering God's faithfulness to them during those wandering years in the wilderness. And so as the ark is being brought, it was demanded of everyone in Israel, man, woman, and child, we read in our text, to come and and to be a part of this celebration. Verse 5, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and oxen they could not be counted or numbered. We don't have the number. Probably thousands upon thousands of sheep and oxen being sacrificed to God. Now why? Well, part of that is they were sacrifices of thanksgiving and of praise. But they're also sacrifices of atonement. And why should we praise God here this morning in our worship? Because many of us, we have been forgiven of our sins. We know of that atonement that has been offered, not by sheep and goats and bulls and other animals that we find in Old Testament worship Israel went through, but because of the blood of Christ, we, we have atonement. Our sins are forgiven. We are forgiven of all of our sins. In order for for an unholy people to stand before a holy God, there must be atonement. And we praise God this morning that He has given us that atonement in and through Christ. The people of Israel, they came and they were celebrating, they were praising their God. Why? Because He had delivered them from Egypt. You remember Egypt? In slavery for 400 years. Before God delivered them. But He delivered them. You remember the night of the Passover, what God said to Israel you are to to kill the lamb and you're to put the blood on the lintel of your house. And if you do that, you'll be safe. And that night, the, the angel of the Lord came, the angel of death, and everywhere there was blood, 
The firstborn in that house, a man or beast, did not die. But where there was no blood, there was death. Here we see all these sheep and oxen being sacrificed. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sin. And Christian, if you are a Christian this morning, then you are to give God praise because the blood of Christ has covered your sin. And so the first thing we see is God dwells in holiness. Second, or God deserves praise. Second, God dwells in holiness in verses 6 through 8. In verse 6, we find out that the Ark of the Covenant was put in a holy place. And the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house. In the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. The most holy place, the sacred chamber known as the Holy of Holies. It was made in the shape of a perfect cube. It was covered with pure gold. And, and the Holy of Holies was the throne room of God on earth. It was the earthly copy of the place where God rules from heaven. And the ark was God's throne, God's footstool. And did you notice what was resting in the ark? We read in verses 7 and 8. We've heard of these beings before. The cherubim. Angels. What do angels do? They, they do the bidding of God. They are always in the presence of God. And, and these cherubim are holy for they have to be. Now we know there are two types of angels. There are the fallen angels that rebelled with Satan. Satan was an angel created by God. He decided he wanted to be God and, and he rebelled. And, and all those that followed Satan or Lucifer, the, those fallen angels are what we know today as demons. And yes, angels and demons are real. But the unfallen angels created by God as well they're the ones that are doing the, the service of God. These cherubim that we've heard about before, they, they are in the immediate presence of God. They serve as the sentinels of God's throne room in heaven. The, and the cherubim in the temple signified the ark as a place of enthronement. Whose? God's. But they also testify of God's holiness. The Bible tells us without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Now we hear that and we say, well, we're in trouble, aren't we? Because there's, we're not holy. We're not holy. We, we are sinners. We, we cannot stand in the presence of God. And, 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 and it's, it's true. We, we are sinners by nature. We do wicked things. We do evil things by nature. And only if our nature is changed and God saves us and redeems us, then we are counted holy through the holiness of Jesus. And so the ark, the, the, the very throne room of God where God dwelt, the cherubim being there on the ark of the covenant reminds us of God's holiness. God is holy and He dwells in holiness. He dwells 
in His holiness. God does not sin. There's no sin. There's no darkness with God. You remember way back at the beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God has always been. And, and out of the darkness, what did He create? He created light. He created the, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. He gave us that light to govern our seasons and our times. He created everything that we see upon this earth. And at the end of the sixth day, what do we read? It was all very good. But then we, we come to Genesis 3 and our first parents, Adam and Eve. They listened to, to Satan. Satan came in the form of a snake and said, did God really say this? To the, he said that to the woman. And she believed the lies. And she took of the fruit and ate. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. And the moment they ate, their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. And, and darkness, though, came upon their soul. The darkness of sin and death came upon them. Death began happening in the created order. And, and that which was created good by God was now fallen. But God hadn't changed. He was still holy. And the amazing thing was this. In the cool of the day, God came walking. It seemed at that time that was customary for God to, to walk. And He came to Adam and the woman. He cried out, where are you? Where were they? They were hiding because of their sin. And God inquired. He already knew. God knows everything. But He inquired. And He led Adam and the woman to a, a confession of their sin. And He gave them a promise. He said, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send the seed of the woman to this earth. And He's going to deliver you. And God Himself sacrificed animals and He clothed their nakedness. But in that sacrifice, just as we see here, in these sacrifices, the thousands of sacrifices that were given by Solomon, it conveyed to them the blood of Christ that would cover all sin and the way for them to be holy before God. We serve a holy God. We worship a holy God this morning. And we're not. And the only reason I can stand before you this morning and not be struck dead because of my own sin and disobedience to God is because of Christ. But then there's a third thing we see, and that is God descending in glory. In verse 9, we, we read what was in the ark. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone. You remember the, the Ten Commandments were given by God to Moses on two tablets of stone. And, and God had called Moses up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And, 
and the people became restless because that's what people do. We become, we become restless when we don't hear from God. And they had not heard from God. They were saying, well, Moses must be dead. And so they went to Aaron. They said, Aaron, make us gods. Aaron took gold from earrings and jewelry and, and he, he constructed quite craftily a, a golden calf. And he said it before them, this is your God, worship him. Well, that did not please God, did it? He was quite angry, he knew what was happening. Moses comes down, he, he drops those, those tablets in anger. But yeah, there's a, a second set, and these are the stones that were put uh, in the ark by Moses there at Horeb. It was at, at Horeb that the Lord made a covenant with Israel when they came out. Of Egypt, the same covenant that Moses brought down the mountain, the Ten Commandments. And so those two tablets was a reminder to Israel that they that they were loved by God, but also of their obligation to obey. Then, then our text closes, and this is the most remarkable, the most dramatic moment in the story of Solomon and the ark being brought into the temple. It was the moment when God descended in unapproachable glory. Verse 10, And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand and minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now, something similar happened when Moses entered the tabernacle, and the moment he finished making a house for God, the glory of God came down in a cloud. This is what we call a theophany. It's a visible manifestation of the glory of God. Here is God's house. God comes by way of a cloud. And He fills that house. Now the temple that Solomon had just built, the house of the Lord that Solomon had just built was the one place on earth where people could do what? Go and meet God. But the moment it was complete, the ark was brought down, a closed sign was put on it. Because the presence of God, no one could enter. Why? Because God is too glorious. One commentator stated, as these verses give to us, the, the priests did not just come out of the holy place because their duty was done. The priests were running out of the holy place in the temple because the glory of God was coming in. It was a physical representation of God's divine being. That cloud was infinitely the most glorious thing at the temple. Matthew Henry said this, The temple, though richly beautified, yet while it was without the ark, was like a body without a soul. A candlestick without a candle. Or to speak more properly, a house without an inhabitant. All the cost and pains bestowed on this stately structure are lost if God does not accept them. And unless He pleases to own it as the place where He will record His name, it is after all but a ruinous heap. 
In other words, if God had not entered that temple, oh, it was a beautiful building filled with gold and, and every type of, of, of furniture made of cedar you could imagine. But if God did not enter the temple, it was useless. Now, what does that mean for us? What application can we make? Well, first of all, we need to understand that we can say the same thing with the church today. We are nothing without God. Unless the Lord is with us, then none of the work we do in the church will make any difference for the kingdom of God. None. When God is in His house, His Word goes out with power and His Spirit, that the Spirit of God changes people's lives from the inside out. This is what God does in our midst. This is what He has done for many of us and, and when we come together for worship. Because guess what? Whether you realize it or not, God is here. We don't see Him in that cloud. But He's with us. How do we know? Because He tells us in His Bible, where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, there I am with them. As He gave the great commission to His church and the disciples, He said, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The church, not this building, but us, the church. We are the temple of the living God. And without His presence, we are useless. Without the presence of God, we may have great plans of what to do, but none of them will come to fruition. And so we are in need of the presence of God. And we thank Him this morning that He's with us. Second, when we come into the presence of God for worship, we should honor Him for His holiness. You know, that's why we do the things we do in worship. That's why we're not going to have the smoke machine, the flashy lights. Because we are concerned with the holiness of God. When we come together for worship, we honor Him for His holiness. Do you remember back in Leviticus 10? Two men, Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron. They had a great idea. Let's offer God some fire that He's not told us to offer Him. And they did. What happened? They were consumed in fire. Struck dead. That is the holy God that we worship. And, and because of that, we are to set God apart as the one and only God. There is no other God but the God that has revealed Himself in the Bible. People are, are searching for everything, right? They're searching for that meaning in life. They're searching for what it means to, to really live. And, and what it means is to know God and to love Him and to serve Him. We recognize the holiness of God and His supremely perfect being. We bow before Him because as Isaiah says, He is holy, holy, holy. And as the people of God, we are holy, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. 
Third, we no longer have to make countless sacrifices. For our Savior paid for all of our sins in a single day. That's one of the main differences, isn't it, between Old Testament and New Testament worship. We are able to have carpet, carpet here. Because I don't have to sacrifice animals. This, this place is not filled with the blood of animals. Why? Because the final sacrifice has been given. The sacrifice of Jesus. The, the perfect Passover Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And there is no other sacrifice needed for my sins or for yours. It is why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. God's demand for justice has been fully met in Jesus. And so how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the fact that Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, the Holy One of God, died for sinners and for our sins. How do we respond? The only response to that great sacrifice that He has given that matters is this. We trust Him in faith and we turn from our sin no matter how great or how many we have committed. And if you do that, you will be forgiven. Many times we think, I'm too bad. I've done too much. I'm too wicked. What did Jesus say? I did not come to save the righteous, but the unrighteous. He did not come to save those who think without Him he's, they're fine and they can make their way to heaven. He came to save those who realize without Jesus we are lost, we are dying, we're going to hell. We have no hope in this life or in the next. Jesus came to die for those people. For us. As we come to Christ in faith, turning from our sins, then what are we to do? We are to live a life in thankfulness. With our worship, with our time, with our comfort, with our desires. Let me close with a quote from David Livingston, a great missionary. He said this one day, he said, I never made a sacrifice. We ought not to talk of sacrifice when we remember the great sacrifice which he made, that is Jesus made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself up for us. But there are times where we think I've sacrificed this or that. But the one who has truly sacrificed is Jesus. And he did that so that despicable, rotten, wicked sinners such as me and you could spend an eternity with him in heaven. Do we deserve heaven? No. Do we deserve the grace and mercy of God? No, because if we deserved it, it would no longer be grace or mercy, would it? 
But Jesus left the glories of heaven, came to this earth, died on the cross for the sins of all who would come to Him in faith, turning from those sins. And as we do that, we are then filled with the Holy Spirit and we are the temple of God. And we're the presence of God in us. So do you know that presence? If not, then turn to Christ. Trust in Him. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved as you turn from your sins. And you will know this holy God that filled the temple in Jerusalem. But you also know that this holy God is a God of great grace and love and mercy to all who will come to Him in faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And while we see Your holiness and we understand that we are not holy in and of ourselves, Father, we thank You that You sent Jesus as that holy sacrifice for sin for us. Lord, I pray for any who are here this morning and they, they are not found in Christ. Even now, God, You would change them by way of Your Spirit. They would recognize their sin. They would recognize their need of Jesus and they would simply cry out, Lord Jesus, save me, a sinner. And we know, God, that if they do that as they turn from their sin and turn to Jesus, that You will do just that. Oh Lord, we thank You that You give grace to us. That You love us. And that that is seen at the cross. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.